welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I am your host, Parker Fleming, and I am joined this evening by our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, good to talk to you. How are you? I am doing okay, Parker. Just uh, just out here surviving and thriving, man. How about yourself? Yeah, doing doing the best we can. Um, just trying to stay sane and be productive. So mm-hmm. knock all that out. Um, as a as a treat tonight, we have as a guest the uh, Dave. Campbell's Texas football writer, Shehan Jayaraja. Um, I'm sure I botched that after we talked about it off, off things, but I'm hoping I'm doing well. So, uh, Shehan, nice to have you tonight. Yeah, just on for a little treat, little taste, you know, uh, during the coronavirus. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, something to do. We had uh, a great guest on last week, Carlos Mendez, and Carlos at the very beginning straight up, straight up was like, it's really great to talk to someone who's not my family. Like, this is good. Like, he's, he's like, I just want to talk to another person. Uh, so that was, that was pretty funny. I, I um, feel that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so tonight um, we're talking about quarterbacks and um, I'm very excited to do that. We are going to have to make an assumption off the bat. So I just want to get away from everything else, abstract away from real life and from nonsense. We're going to talk on this podcast operating under the assumption that football is happening um, in a form or fashion that is close enough to reality that we don't need to account for it. So I'll probably ask you that at the end and we'll probably get some thoughts about like, what do we think is going to happen? But in our whole quarterback discussion, we're going to say 12 game schedule this fall fans in the fans in the stands. What do we, what are we thinking? So just trying to keep it there, um, which I think will make things a little bit easier because we're probably going to give the same answer if we don't do that. I should um, also add one other caveat, which is ahead. that we need to remember that uh, Sean hates TCU. So we should right, keep that right. in mind before. Yeah. Before we delve into this, <laughs> yeah, he he definitely does, and this is well. Really if you don't know, I mean, if anybody's listening and doesn't know, I am in fact a graduate of that school down south, you know, uh, in in Waco, Texas. Just just so people know, you honestly might be the first uh, football team in Waco guest on this podcast or on the Frogs War podcast in like a very long time. Well, um, I mean, I mean, to be fair, I mean, once Paul Quinn College moved, it made it a lot harder. <laughs> You know, I have a buddy that played basketball for Paul Quinn College. Hey, just a little aside, just, just a fun treat for the fans <laughs> so, out there. Yeah. Oh, oh, PQC. Uh-huh. I, I was going to try and guess their mascot, but I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it too, but. Are they the, they're not the Pirates, are they? They're, oh. <laughs> Your guess is as good as I mean, as you mine. can't even look it up, you know. There's no way of knowing. Uh, Introduce it now. Uh, okay, right, so, so, yeah, go, yeah. Grant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you drive for a little bit. Okay. Um, this is something we've talked about a lot, Shahan, but I'm curious, and, and there's no need to go one through ten, but I think there's a pretty clear top four quarterbacks in the Big 12. Um, maybe you could go top five, but but who's sort of in that top four, top five range, and, and where would you rank them? Yeah, I, I think that to me right now, now we're going to go into this knowing that Spencer Rattler has not played really a football game as yet. So to me, there's a top two, first of all. I think that Sam Ellinger and Brock Purdy are top two. You can flip one or two. I mean, I think that, you know, that's a conversation worth having. But I think that those two guys, they, they have a track record at this point. You know, obviously, Ellinger being a senior, but, you know, basically a four-year starter. Purdy being a three-year starter really changed a whole lot of things at Iowa State. Um, I think that those two – I probably lean towards Ellinger one Purdy two, but I would not fault anybody for switching that around. But I think those two guys are on another level right now. Um, you know, then I think you kind of get into the, you know, good, maybe a little bit more inexperienced group. Uh, well, plus Charlie Brewer. I think that Charlie Brewer is probably number three right there. Um, 
right now. Uh, you know, he's a guy who obviously has proven he can do things with his legs. He's obviously been a consistent force with his arms. Funnily enough, not coming off his best season, even though Baylor took a big step forward. Uh, I think that he was a lot better his, his first two years. Um, but, you know, you, you know what's there, right? Like, you obviously know what's there. I think that he's probably three right now. Um, and then you get kind of into the, the slightly unknown camp where you're talking about Alan Bowman, you're talking about Spencer Sanders, a couple of guys who, who again, have been injured the past couple of years. Um, but look, I mean, there's also a decent amount of quarterback turnover. Obviously, Bowman was hurt last year, you know, so we don't really know what he looks like. You know, you have a guy like uh, like Jared Dagey coming in. You've got Max Duggan with his first full year. I really as a starter. Um, I mean, I, it, Skyler Thompson is probably a guy who I'm overlooking a little bit. Uh, you know, I mean, he's not my favorite quarterback per se, but but I mean, I think that he's also in that conversation too. So, I mean – I think he, it's did pretty beat, deep he did beat out Alex Delton, so that can't be, uh, that can't <laughs> sorry, be sorry, forgotten. starter, Alex Delton, can't forget it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hate to say it. There are a lot of good quarterbacks in the Big 12. I don't want to – How dare you? There. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about those guys individually. And, and, and yeah. you mentioned Ellinger down in Texas. Um, you wrote a big cover story on him uh, for, for Dave Campbell's last year, really well done. Do you think he – kind of a you know not forcing you to make a take here but but is he capable of leading a team maybe not even necessarily this texas team but leading a team to a top five ranking of college football playoff appearance uh in his senior year yeah he's definitely capable of it i mean we saw during his junior year it wasn't the best team that texas ever had but you know they won 10 games won the sugar bowl made it to the big 12 title game and i honestly think you look back at that team and it wasn't the greatest team. You know, it was a pretty good team. It's not like, you know, this was this crazy elite talent Texas team. Like, he definitely elevated them. Um, you know, at the same time, will he? I, You know, looking at what Texas has coming back, I think that's obviously a tougher question. Um, but, but let's put it this way. You know, if you switch Jalen Hurts and Sam Ellinger last year, is there really a question that they make the playoff? I mean, I think that they're probably a better team in a lot of ways. It, not, not just a lot of ways, actually. I'll say, I think that they're a better team across the board. Um, so, so to me, yeah, he's definitely in that conversation. You know, I mean, I know that sort of all this, like, Heisman stuff started getting brought up really quick because he was so good as a sophomore. And that's, that's just unfair for anybody, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but, but is he the type of quarterback who can lead you to a playoff? I mean, you know, lead you to potentially a national title game, compete for a Heisman, be an all-conference quarterback. I mean, I think he's proven through his first three years that he absolutely can do all of those things. Yeah, I think the, the biggest tell for me is that um, the LSU game, so they in Texas, you know, had that common non-conference opponent. Um, and he was 31 for 47, 400 yards, four touchdowns, a QBR of almost 90. I mean, he was playing at a high elite level. And I think that was really the only time all season he played in kind of a context-free, everything's going like it should kind of Texas team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that when a guy like Sam goes and steps up and plays like that against the future national champions against you know the, the guy who won the Heisman trophy uh, I, I mean those are the moments you want to see and I think that he's consistently risen to those moments too is the one nice thing that you say about him because there I mean there are guys who obviously you know in the biggest games don't play the best like I mean again not to make this whole show about Jalen Hurts obviously but you know I think that he last year struggled in the biggest games you know I think he played his worst sometimes in the biggest games Ellinger's played his best games on the biggest stages and I think you know heading into senior year we'll see whether that Texas team is good enough uh, in 2020 and can adjust to all the coaching turnover but no question in my mind that he can be the best quarterback in the Big 12 and, and lead a playoff team. I'd like to touch on that a little bit that you mentioned Jalen Hurts um 
just because I think it's really interesting. Obviously, he's not coming back this year, but that Oklahoma team was so stacked on offense last year, just incredibly good receivers. With a different, maybe a little bit better quarterback, like you said, I doubt they beat LSU, but do you think they're a little more, I don't know if the word is dynamic on offense, and they're, they're pretty entertaining already, but what do they kind of need, more of a Kyler Murray type guy, or, or what do you think? Well, I think that having – a Kyler Murray type is how you get the most out of any college offense, honestly. A Heisman winner, yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, but, but having a guy who can both throw at that level and run at that level obviously is just a crazy, crazy thing, right? And, and I mean, any <laughs> – I would highly recommend anybody having Kyler Murray if they can. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I think that the big thing is, right, last year with Jalen Hurts, like, you saw the whole package over the course of his season, right? Like, he was an inconsistent passer. But when he could get his passing game going a little bit, they were unstoppable. You know, the level of receivers they have there is insane. So they kind of were able to mass some of it. And he is a very effective runner, obviously. You know, and, and I think he brought a dimension to that running game that other quarterbacks, really any other quarterback I don't think could have. But, I mean, the Oklahoma fans were kind of joking about, like, oh, we got to throw in Spencer Rattler. But, like, I think that having – a guy who can pass the ball downfield at a high level is an advantage. You know, a guy who you know what you're going to get in the passing game every single week is an advantage. And, you know, again, I think it's unfair to, to take shots at Jalen Hurts because he, I think he played as well as he could have been expected to. But, but, yeah, I mean, I think that when Oklahoma has a quarterback who can stretch the field with their arm and, uh, you know, throw the ball downfield consistently, I mean, some of these passes that Jalen Hurts threw to C.D. Lamb were just – embarrassing (laughs) they were embarrassing and again I I don't think that's inconsistent with what we've seen from him but uh you know if you have a quarterback like Sam Ellinger in there like what we think Spencer Rattler can be like Baker and Kyler were I think it definitely takes this offense to a different level definitely can I um can I formulate a hypothesis at you and have you respond Um, because looking at this name of quarterbacks you know that are coming back this year there's a lot of high ceilings you know some people think Alan Bowman might be really, really good. Um, Charlie Brewer has shown greatness at times. you got Ellinger and, and, and a couple other guys, Spencer Sanders in a high-functioning offense um, could be capable. Max Duggan showed moments of being good. My hypothesis is the most consistent quarterback in the Big 12 next year will be the best one. It's not yeah. who can reach their ceiling. It's who can be the most consistent. Yeah, yeah, I think that you're right. And again, to me, that's a, that's a plus for Ellinger, you know, because he's done it over the course of, at this point, three years. You know, everybody else on the board, you know, Purdy's done it for two years at a really high level, um, and, and everybody else has done it off and on. But, but I think that Ellinger is the one guy who basically the last two years has, you know, had a handful of bad games. But, I mean, when you talk about, you know, whatever, the last 25 games or whatever it is the last two years, I mean, he's been excellent in 20-plus of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned Purdy, too, as a guy that, that has been consistent over, over two years, and you mentioned him as probably up there with Ellinger. I, I seem to always not ride off Purdy because he is very good, but I don't think about him for some reason when I think about elite Big 12 quarterbacks. Why is that, I guess? It seems like he's overlooked by a lot of people, and he is very, very good at his job, and I, I don't get why, me included, we tend to overlook him. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's two very simple explanations to that. One, the other guy plays at the University of Texas. And two, the other guy plays at Iowa State University. And ultimately, Iowa State has obviously over the last three or four years or whatever it is, done a tremendous job of improving their program, of being a consistently competitive program. But 
they haven't really competed for the Big 12. You know, they are, they're more of sort of in that, I mean, I hate to make comparisons, but kind of like in that like early 2010s Kansas State molds, uh, 2012 notwithstanding, where they're like always competitive, they're always going to cause you an issue. But like, are you really like circling that on the calendar? Are you really watching them every single week? Not necessarily. Um, you know, it, it's just, I think, a different animal. And um, look, it, it is f- unfair to Brock Purdy. And ultimately, that's why people go to the University of Texas over Iowa State. I mean, that's just part of it. But, um, you know, I, I think that if they can break through and make a Big 12 title game or even win 10 games or make a New Year's Six, something like that, I, I think that's really going to help how people see Purdy. But, again, it's just, just such a hard thing to do at Iowa State. Yeah, it's like when a what was it Troy Banks had that really great year for for Iowa State back in the early two thousands, right? And it was like, okay, great. Was, was that was Troy Banks, right? I'm not making that up. Or was he? I you could right, make any. Did I just completely screw that up? Hold on. Anyway, um, you, could, you could literally say a random first name and a last name and tell me they played quarterback for Iowa State. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember. I, I wasn't a, a big Iowa State watcher early in my life. Uh, you weren't deep in the Cyclones. I was not. Okay. I mean. I mean, I know that Seneca Wallace is obviously the guy that people cannot stop bringing You know what? Yeah, I had, I had uh, Troy Banks was Iowa, Seneca Wallace was Iowa State. But uh, still, okay, the, okay. Yeah, yeah, Seneca Wallace well, was I, like, I extremely did not watch Big Ten football growing up. You just, you just torpedoed all of our Iowa State listeners who now hate you for <laughs> confusing the two. And we were doing so well. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Really big they're, Iowa they're State. They're angry, let me tell you. We are losing the Ames market quickly. But, but, but the same point, right? Seneca Wallace like, uh, had a really great career. And congratulations, you played for Iowa State. Like, it, right. I feel like that's tough. Like, you mentioned Kansas State. Con Klein was incredible. He wasn't going to beat Johnny Manziel for the Heisman, but he was really good. And I just think it's, like you said, unfair that Purdy led the Big 12 in passing yards per game last year. Like, that's a raw stat, but he's still very good. And I don't know. I, I think he's going to lead that Iowa State team to some more surprise games they should win, even though we shouldn't be surprised. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's look at uh, your your uh, <clears throat> a, a guy that you consider a, a star, um, and I think reasonable people would Charlie Brewer um, entering his last year at Baylor. Obviously, had a great three year career. Um, you you were high on him from the beginning, and, and I, I'm curious what kind of was it about Charlie, maybe in his freshman year, that that you saw that you thought, hey, this guy could be you know really really good down the road. Well, for me, when I look at a quarterback, and and this is coming out of high school, this is early college, or anything. To me, the most important stat across the board is completion percentage. You know, obviously you got to prove that you can throw the ball down the field and make the sort of throws that you need to be able to make in college. But like, if you can complete passes to receivers, that's what it's all about, right? And Charlie Brewer, his senior year of, co- of high school, completed 77% of his passes. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's pretty dang good. And that's the sort of thing where you're like, okay, you know, we'll see whether he has the arm. That was always a concern. Is he too small? Is he fragile? Is he going to get beat up? That was obviously a big part, and that's kind of come to fruition. Um, but, you know, you always thought, okay, well, he was able to throw the ball in a Hank Carter offense at Lake Travis. Um, you, you know, and you look at the track record of quarterbacks there. I mean, it's pretty dang good. You know, obviously you've got the Baker Mayfield. Uh, you've got uh, – I'm playing right now the, – the Brewer kid who um, – Michael Brewer. Michael Brewer, who obviously did good things at Virginia Tech. Uh, obviously, Matthew Baldwin, you know, we haven't seen him on the field, but he's somebody who everybody was very high on. I mean, they've just been a machine putting out quarter- quarterbacks year after year after year. And I think uh, I think now, obviously, you go and uh, – Garrett Gilbert's another one, obviously. Um, and, and I think that Charlie Brewer was, in a lot of ways, one of the most successful of that whole group. 
You know, he went and won a state title. They went 31 and one in his final two seasons there. Um, again, completed 77% of his passes. It's not like he was untested. You know, he had played against high level 6A competition too. Um, again, and I think that a lot of the questions that we had had about him have borne out in terms of his frame, his ability to throw the ball way downfield, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, to me, when you go into a game and really your first appearance against West Virginia as a freshman and nearly lead a, you know, 25-point comeback, I mean, that's a pretty good start to your career. And I think that, you know, just starting with that and being able to, you know, keep growing on it and, and really be able to make plays on the fly and just the way that he always kind of, had the offense run through him even when Baylor was struggling. I, I think that those were always impressive things to me. And, and again, to me, his junior season was not as most impressive. You know, he, he dealt with injuries. He was inconsistent. I think he was probably more hurt than he was letting on, even though no, no matter how much you press him, he won't really get into that. But, um, but, you know, I think that he's just one of those guys who's a gamer and, and kind of has the physical backing to, to really pull it off. Yeah. And, and you mentioned sort of, I'm not going to call it. I'm not going to call it a regression because, like you said, he was injured and beat up and all that. But um, it's still very good. By the way, no, yeah, for wise. sure, still extremely good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like going into his senior year, new coach, um, kind of didn't see the same growth that 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 we would expected from sophomore and junior, even with, like you said, mitigating injuries. What's kind of his ceiling? Well, I'll ask you this, okay. How many offensive coordinators on the planet could you bring in right now at the college level that you'd feel that much better about having than Larry Fedora? You know, I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, run the spread, obviously. He's a guy who's developed quarterbacks at a high level, obviously at North Carolina, Marquise Williams and, and Mitchell Trubisky, you know, my, unfortunately my boy with the Chicago Bears. Uh, <laughs> it's bad, it's bad. But, but in college, obviously, very good player. Um, you know, I, I think that there's going to be a big return to what Charlie Brewer did in high school and what he was most successful doing, playing in a spread offense, getting the ball out quick. And that's part of the thing, right? It's like you had Charlie Brewer, who's not the strongest armed quarterback, playing in like a pro-style system. That was always a little weird, right? And, and really, that second year, I think they did a good job of moving away from that and trying to move him around a little more, trying to play to his strengths. By his junior year, I think that they – really tried to keep him in the pocket a little bit more than I would have personally. I think that Larry Fedora is a great coach to come in and kind of unleash him again. You know, he's somebody who uh, knows when to, to get the ball out quick. He's somebody who wants to get his receivers in space. He's somebody who wants to, you know, have quick decisions. They want to be able to process quickly. That's what Larry Fedora wants. And I think that Charlie Brewer is going to be able to do that at a high level. And the other thing too, is that we saw consistently throughout the 2019 season, that having an inconsistent offensive line was a huge deal when you're trying to play a pro-style offense. I think that that's less of an issue when you're playing in a spread offense. And not that it's going to mitigate everything, not that everything's going to all of a sudden be amazing and they're going to average, you know, 600 yards a game. But I think it's a big difference. And, and I think that, honestly, again, you go down the list of, of guys who are offensive coordinator candidates at Baylor heading into 2020. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if there's another guy who they could have gotten that other than Larry Fedora that I would have felt better about. And the other thing that I want to add on top of that too, is that Dave Aranda, the new head coach also brought in as passing game coordinator, George Munoz, who was basically like 
uh, Joe Brady's second in command, basically. So, so he's a guy who is going to sort of bring in some of those passing concepts. And we'll see whether Charlie can, can play with all of that stuff. I mean, obviously, he doesn't have a Joe Brady arm. But, but you know, you're going to have a lot of these spread concepts mixed with a lot of these sort of uh, air passing concepts. I, I think it's going to be a really good fit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Fedora's no Doug Meacham, but, you know, I, I guess you just kind of bring a lot to the table. <laughs> well, well, I mean, look, when you can innovate with Jerry Kill, like, what's Yeah, I mean, you listen. Gosh. This is targeted um, harassment. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it up. Um, we'll get to it. I'm just curious, how is Baylor's offensive line this year? Because I don't know. Are they going to be better? Or? Uh, They're probably going to be, like, 5% better. Like, they're not going to be worse. Um, right. They lost – who their most experienced guy, I guess you'd call him Sam Tecklenburg, but they bring back almost everybody else. I mean, I, I think that when they were healthy last year, Baylor's line was okay, which is a big step up from what it had been the previous two years. And I mean, I think that they're going to be a little better than okay this year. Uh, and they're going to have more depth. I think it's a big part of it too. And the big thing about it too, is that you hope that from an injury perspective, they can withstand it just a little better now that these guys are juniors and seniors and not, 19 year old kids definitely and like you know don't want to put individual college student athletes uh on the spot or anything but like watching the west virginia game my reaction was man you need to have a guy who could come in and not do this poorly like you need to have a seventh (laughs) offensive lineman who can not let this happen yeah well and and i'll tell you what you know in that second half when when baylor at least you know they weren't playing well but they started Mm -hmm. at least not getting murdered every play they actually took a kid who was trying to red shirts and, and put him into the game. Cause they were like, all right, we, we just, we can't do this. Like we, we cannot do this. And so that's a kid who, you know, should be back next year full time that, that, you know, they, they've just got a lot more guys, I think in that lineup, but, but offensive line is going to be an issue until it's not. And at this point, obviously we don't know anything for sure. Yeah. We're half a TCU podcast. We understand how offensive line is an issue until it is. Well, speaking of TCU, but let's 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 talk about Max Duggan. Um, you um, <clears throat> listen. I I fully came into this podcast expecting to dig up some stats that kind of back me up that Duggan's actually good, and then I pulled up the uh, the Big Twelve stats, and and these are raw. But he he was last in pass efficiency and last in passing uh, yards per game, and that seems um, bad. So it, say one nice thing about Max Duggan for me. Jahan, before, before you launch into your overall point. I think that, you know, I talked about Charlie Brewer being a gamer his freshman year, just somebody who, you know, could do the right things, kind of you could see that he was starting to figure it out even when it wasn't quite happening as yet. I think Max Duggan has a lot of that. Like, I think that obviously, you know, his games against Texas and Baylor especially, you know, those are two of the best teams that they played on their schedule. And, and I think that he – had moments in those games. I don't think those games were overall good, but, but, you know, he had moments in those games where you saw, okay, that's the vision on him, you know? And, and I think that, look, this kid was never supposed to play in the first place anyway. So to say anything about like, Oh, you know, he should have been here. No, he shouldn't have been anywhere. He shouldn't have played at all. You know, that's obviously the big thing about it. And so, you know, there's something there for sure, but you know, obviously we'll get into the rest of it. We'll yeah, I think it. I think we we'll also have to like oh I think we just have to calibrate because you see us on Twitter saying like oh my gosh Max Duggan's amazing but realize that we're speaking to a bunch of people who are like Max Duggan is terrible and TCU should not start him and we should get For a sure. new quarterback instead of saying like oh it's weird that Max Duggan has to run for 15 yards every third down otherwise we punt it like no one's uh 
no one's really talking about the big issues. So we're kind of, we're focusing on, on that section of people. We were talking to the Alex Delton should keep starting crowd. Oh man. Which is a completely different sector that I don't even think listens to this podcast, but still. Well, I mean, it is funny looking back, right? Cause obviously there was like the talk like, Oh, this is like a seven man quarterback competition. That's like, Oh wait, there are two guys who can play football right now. Yeah. Also like, I don't, I don't blame Alex Delton for leaving the team. We'll get into serious things, but like, man, Mike Collins goes in before me. I'm, I'm probably pretty mad at the Oklahoma state game. Like the, the quarterback situation at TCU was just kind of a disaster all last year. Well, if you really want to feel bad, just wait. Cause Michael Collins is going to take rice to a bowl next year. And you're going to be furious, dude. I'm just glad we might hint at this later, but I'm just glad he didn't go to SMU and SMU didn't have a quarterback opening because he's good. He's going to be fine at right. Like rice has a ton, a ton coming back. So grant write this ship. I don't want to talk about the American athletic conference. Well, I, actually, I, I, I do want to circle back to SMU at the end, but um, I, yeah, so, so your, your overall point, Sean, obviously is that Duggan didn't really uh, play well in a lot of games, I'm guessing, uh, but he wasn't as efficient as some of the other freshman quarterbacks that we've seen that grew up to be stars, am I right? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, again, if you are to tell me one thing about Max Duggan, or, or rather, if you were to ask me one thing that's most concerning about Max Duggan, it is that completion percentage, right? Like, there's a million pieces of context. I mean, obviously, it's not like we're comparing, you know, freshman Max Duggan to whatever the heck, you know, retro freshman Spencer Rattler's going to do. That's not fair, right? That said, you know, the issues that he had with kind of keeping his legs under him when throwing the ball downfield, you know, and, and part of that is offensive line. Part of that is obviously offensive line. Um, but, you know, like the issues he had getting the ball to Jalen Rager, some of that is obviously going to be on the offense coordinator, but it still happened. The issues that he had kind of knowing when to make decisions and how to make decisions in this offense, and it's not the most complicated offense under Sonny Cumbie, that stuff worries me. And, Again, like I said, million pieces of context to every one of those points. But, I mean, when you see a freshman quarterback who's ready to come in and do things, right? Because we, we did see those things last year in a couple other quarterbacks. Like Sam Howell at North Carolina would be an example of that. Um, you know, what you're looking for is, again, you're looking for a guy who's poised under pressure, which I think Duggan was at times. You're looking for a guy who's accurate, which Duggan wasn't almost all the time. Uh, and you're looking for a guy who really has a good understanding of his offense, which is something that comes with time too, but he didn't, that, you know, for most of the season. So if you're going to go off of some of the early indicators, it's a little questionable. But again, he was always the project is the other thing that I kind of come back to. You know, he was always supposed to be a guy who was supposed to take over in two years, not in zero, you know. So, so um, again, there's upside there, but, but you have to look past a whole lot to find it too. Right. So, and this okay. is, this is, so no, I was just going to make a point almost halfway on Parker's behalf, but I think a lot of what we have sold ourselves on with Duggan is the intangibles, right? It's a sort of, Hey, sure. look, like he's not afraid to take hits. He's, you know, he'll, sure. he'll chunk it. He may not complete it. He probably won't, but he'll chunk it. And I think that's sort of what has created this hype around him in the TCU sort of Twitter circles is look, he's, he's willing to try. And, and, the players have rallied around him by all accounts. I, I think he, he really has created a, um, a sense of leadership in the locker room and, and, and all that. So I think that's mostly where the, the Heisman hype has come from. Uh, to 2021, I think. I think 2020 is probably still a little earlier, though you can get good value on him. I'm pretty sure right now. At, at you can get incredible value. Right yeah, now. I mean, listen, you, you can retire. I'm pretty sure if you bet Matt, Max Duggan when the Heisman he does. But um, yeah, and Parker, 
throwing it to you here, you're not an intangibles guy. That's, that's not your brand, but you're kind of with me on this, right? I am. So I think that the, the biggest thing you have to look at is like, this is hopefully the bottom of TCU's cycle in terms of offense, not knowing what it's doing with itself. Hopefully that's going to improve. Um, but also I'm just excited about a kid who, I mean, literally every time it was third down. So Max Duggan was second to last in the big 12 in pass EPA last year. And he was first in run EPA because every single one of his runs was third and long. And he was like, okay, something has to happen. I'm going to make it happen. And sometimes that happened and it didn't go right. Like sometimes he tried and it didn't go well. Um, But I think, especially with TCU, the one thing that a lot of the stats about Duggan don't capture is that like he had two things working against him, maybe three, uh, depending on how, how far we want to go down this train, but like one drops, he had, I mean, TCU won the Baylor game on the first drive and the ball was dropped. The ball was there. It was a great ball. Um, He doesn't get credit for that. Um, to a really, really thin wide receiver core. And so, I mean, Pro Wells and Artavius Lynn, probably easy enough to like split them out. But like Shewa Olanalua played a ton of split out just because they were so thin at wide receiver. Um, and then third, well, maybe I'm at four. Who knows? My list is just going to go forever. But third, uh, the offensive line. Like you can almost draw a line in the map after the Texas game and say like, oh, here's where the offensive line went to hell. Um, because Lucas Niang got hurt. Fourth, Jalen Rager wasn't 100% here this year. Monty's going to come find me for saying that. But, I mean, your best player, you weren't getting him the ball in, in the right spots, and then he kind of checked out. And that really didn't help a freshman quarterback at all, I think. So, so I, I totally agree there is, like, there's context. I don't think what he did on the field is good. Like, I'm not trying to gaslight anyone and say, like, oh, actually, 2019 Max Stegman is great. I'm saying, no, 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 this is a kid that if you give him four years, could be Andy Dalton-esque. Yeah, so, so here's the big question that I have about what you said, right? Is that you started off by saying that you feel like in a lot of ways that 2019 TCU should have been sort of the bottoming out of what's going on, basically. I'm less confident of that than you are, I feel like. And, you know, you look at 2019 TCU versus 2020 TCU, you lose two very good running backs, both of whom I think could make it in the NFL. Uh, you lose a first-round potentially wide receiver, and you don't really – you replace him, I guess, with a freshman who could be good, you know, the kid from Temple. But, like, are you sure that the receiver core is going to be a lot better? Are you sure that the offensive line without Lucas Niang full-time is going to be a lot better? Are you sure that the running backs that they have coming up who are talented, I mean, Darwin Bar- Barlow and DeMarque Foster, both super talented backs, but are you sure that they're ready to contribute right away? Like, I'm, I think – you know, I have my questions about Duggan, but I'm just as concerned, I think, about everything that's going to be around him. I, I actually agree. And I, um, Parker and I were talking about over-under win totals for TCU uh, in 2020, and I took the under. I think the odds were seven and a half. Am I right, Parker? Uh, was, was uh, it was, the line was six and a half. Six and a half. And I think I took the under for regular season. And I, I mean, I, I think seven's within the realm of possibility, but I, I think, think seven is like right there. <laughs> yeah, right. right. I think a it's one. a great line. Vegas knows what they're doing. But I, I think 2021 is the year where you would see a payoff. Um, so I think we're going to have to expect, if you're a TCU fan, a little bit more of a slog in 2020 before 2021 comes around. You lose Garrett Wallow on defense, but the secondary comes back around. They got a lot more experience, and the offense finally gets some you know reps under their belts. Um, is is Wallow gone? I thought he was a sophomore last year. Is it, I, he's one of the ones that keep getting. No, because he played while Ty Summers was still here, so he was yeah. a junior this year. 
Yeah, so well, Ty Summers was there forever. I, who knows? That's that true. Could have been. They're they're actually the same person. Um, <laughs> no, oh, I don't no. know. I've heard both of them talk. They are very different. They are very much I, not the same person. Yeah, let me tell. You. That is true. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think it's optimistic. You know, we, Grant and I watched the 2014 Kansas State TCU game and saw Doug Meacham crouching on the sideline and thought like, all right, maybe we can get some magic. But yeah, I'm not optimistic. The, um, I'm just saying you, you can't drop this many passes back to back years. Like it just statistically, it won't happen. But what if your receivers are worse and don't get open? You know, I, that's, that's, I think, sort of yeah, the question. Well, so I think that, I think that the ceiling of receivers is probably lower but the average talent a receiver I think is better um, just because you're going to get a lot more tight end utility by having wide receivers there. And so you're going to be able to hopefully if TC remembers what a tight end is do yeah. some stuff. Well, with and, tight ends. and pro Wells is the one player coming back on offense. So you're like, this is a good big 12 yeah. player, right? Like that's uh, unfortunately it's maybe the one player on the offense, but, right. but at tight end, I mean, if they do use it, which I think they did pretty well towards the end of the year. Yeah. You know, pro uh, Wells is a, an all big 12 type pro Wells led tcu and touchdown receptions sure which is pretty dark although i, I will say I, the, the receiving core should be healthier this year obviously you lose rager but like you can't predict injuries but they had a ton last year i think mikhail barkley coming back is really going to help yeah um, but also yeah. Th- about pro wells because i saw that tweet and i won't it, whatever but i saw the tweet about pro wells leading the big 12 tight ends and touchdowns pro wells also led the big 12 tight ends in like being split out and actually playing wide receiver last year so He's very, very good. That number is misleading, I think. He ran one route, and it was just a post route. And that's what he ran every time, and he scored on it every single mm-hmm. time. So if they keep calling that play, I'm all in on it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where the money is made, for sure. Um, okay, is there any, anything else uh, that you have to say uh, about Max Duggan um, to kind of calm expectations a little bit, or, or at least put in context, like what a reasonable growth pattern would look like for him? Well – Independent of that real quick, I mean, yeah. I am curious what the offense does next season in terms of, like, schematic changes. Because obviously Sonny Cumbie's back. You know, Doug Meacham is here. Who knows what that means? Jerry Kill, I guess, is here. I, whatever that means. I, I, you guys are going to have to explain that whole thing to me offline because I just don't even understand what that means but uh but you know I think that there will be modest changes to the offense to try to get a little bit more out of him I think that you know obviously lose Niang and the offensive line was bad last year but the upside is maybe more experience helps you know I mean the players coming back weren't good players but you know experience helps uh you know like you said there are receivers coming back that hopefully should continue to grow. And maybe some of these guys who didn't get to play much last year are a little bit more ready this year. Who knows? And, and again, I, like I said, I mean, Foster and Barlow are really, really good running backs. And I think eventually we'll be good players. We'll see how fast it happens. But in terms of, uh, in terms of Duggan, I mean, the biggest thing I want to see is I want to see that completion percentage go up. Right. And it doesn't have to be like, he doesn't have to go from, I think it was at 53 and a half last year. He doesn't have to go up to 65 tomorrow. Right. Like I just want to see like if through six games, he's at like 58%, that's improvement. You know, I, I think that just seeing some modest gains, you know, seeing him obviously turn the ball over a little bit less in big spots, I think is a big part of it. Um, and the other thing too, is I think that a lot of it's going to come down to when he does it, you know, is he going to be a little bit more effective passer on first down? Are you not going to get to those third and long situations every single time where he has to run for his life? 
you know, I, I think that those are sort of the things that you can measure at, that you can kind of judge them on is, you know, is TCU's offense in better situations? Is TCU's offense more efficient in a lot of ways? Uh, it, per, per play, is it a little bit better? I mean, and, and the other thing too is like, I think that actually him having less rush attempts in the first six games would be a good indicator that, okay, maybe this is a real passing game and not sort of a, all right, just see what happens sort of game. So you know, again, but, but to me, it really is that completion percentage. If that can go up just moderately, right? Like, again, you don't need it to be over 60 tomorrow. I think that just getting to 58 would be a good start. But at least that shows, you know, if you jump five-ish percent in a year, that at least shows, like, okay, you aren't a finished product. There's still upside here. And, and two, three years from now, obviously, you could be a really high-level passer. I think that's fair. Definitely. Speaking – Speaking of upside, and I'm going to shift gears here, but talk a little bit um, about another one of TCU's rivals. You uh, have SMU in your purview uh, in, in your role at, the, at DCTF. Obviously a good season for the Mustangs last year. Um, do you think they can? They have the talent, have the returning players to come back and do the same next year? I'm not familiar with their roster, but, but should we be worried about the Ponies in 2020? I think that TCU shouldn't worry about them this time around, I think. Um, but – I think that, that SMU is going to come in and be another solid AAC team. Like, I don't think that they're going to fall off a cliff. They're not going to miss a bowl game next year or anything like that. Um, they don't have maybe that 10-win upside that they did this year. Like, in a lot of ways, man, like, like SMU should have won 11 or 12 games. You know, like, they should have been even better than their record was this year in a lot of ways, uh, if not for a couple plays against Memphis where they, you know, didn't have a freaking special teams coordinator and just could not stop anybody, which I will harp on for many more years. And, uh, and obviously against army just, or uh, sorry, against Navy, just doing dumb things. But like, this was a really, really good team last year. Uh, I, I, they're not going to be that this year. They're going to be a very good AAC team playing against a very tough conference against a very tough schedule. Um, you know, so I think that they're probably more of like an eight to nine win team, but when you've got a quarterback coming back in, in Shane Bouchelle, who I think you can argue is if he's not the best quarterback coming back in the state, he's number two, you know, him or Ellinger basically is, is it. Um, and, and then on top of that, you have Reggie Robertson, who's an NFL receiver coming back. You've got talent on both sides of the ball. You lose a lot. Like a lot of the top playmakers are gone, but there still is a lot coming back. I mean, look, again, this isn't going to be a repeat of last year. They're not going to be that good, but they definitely have the talent to be right in the middle of that AAC race. And, and I mean, again, football is about a couple of bounces going a couple of different ways. So there's definitely no reason that they couldn't be back to nine or 10 wins. Great. One more game to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we have to worry at all. So Parker, I know you wanted to touch on this. Um, Sort of the future of football, I know there's a lot of different reports swirling around. You know, news is breaking every day. But what's kind of your read on how things are shaping up? Will we see games without fans, stuff like that? What's kind of your, you know, uh, your gut feeling? Yeah, it's, it's hard to know, isn't it? I mean, I think at this point, obviously, you know, we're not going to get the spring. But I also don't think that there's reason to – panic about not getting a 2020 season, even if it takes place in the spring. I mean, I think that we are working towards a point where football is going to happen in some form or fashion. Now, I think that the question is less going to be about whether we can play football and whether schools feel comfortable putting people in the stands. It's possible to play football without fans, but like, like here's the deal, right? If you play basketball without fans, it's 
15 players a roster. It's a head coach. It's three assistant coaches and some, 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 some support staff. You know, that's like 40 people total. And if you play football, especially college football at this level, like that's 300 people in itself. We basically have to be to the point where we've cleared, you know, big groups of people to come together to be able to play college football. And that's what I think going to make it one of the hardest things to come back. And the other thing too, is like, if it does come back, but like, we don't have a vaccine as yet. I mean, are people going to show up to the games in the same numbers that we necessarily expect them to? I think that's a question in itself too. And I mean, we've already seen some schools take some actions, obviously Cincinnati cuts men's soccer. We saw old dominion cut men's wrestling. Uh, and just today, St. Edwards university, a division two school in Austin, just cut six sports, you know? And so I think that there's a reality that, that there's going to be a lot of financial issues across the board and in college athletics next year, whether or not we come back right away from football, but it's hard to know. It's, it's hard to know is really the big thing. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's kind of the mood everyone's in is that we're all hoping for the best, but like it is impossible to call it. Like, let me ask you this. Do you remember where you were uh, March 11th when uh, everything went to hell and the NBA uh, canceled their season? Was that the 11th? Okay. Okay. So, I mean, God, I, I've just lost track of all the days, but uh, yeah. I, <laughs> it's funny. We're, we're talking about this. Like, <laughs> like it was like, once you learned about 9-11. <laughs> it, it was like a month and four days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So I was at home. Um, I think I... Was I at my parents' house? I think I might have been at my parents' house. No, no, no. That was that was when I learned about the the, the shutdown, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I just got a I just got a notification on my phone. I I was sitting on my couch at home watching TV, I think, and like both Woj and Shams within like ten seconds of each other are like, Rudy Gobert's got coronavirus, <laughs> and then like then like a couple uh, you know maybe thirty minutes later. Both of them, within like 10 seconds of each other, it's NBA is canceled. And as soon as that happened, it was like, oh, this is, this is happening, right? We're all going to be quarantined. Every sports league is going to be shut down. Everything's going to be shut down. Because if the NBA is shutting down, like everything is shut down, right? Like yeah. if you're shutting down professional sports leagues with millions and millions of dollars at stake, you know, billions of dollars at stake, it, you know, we knew that this was probably going to be right around the corner. And it's funny, you know, I've kind of joked with some people, but like, Whenever the book or the textbook is written about this, right? Like Rudy Gobert's got to go on the top of the section, right? Yes. <laughs> like yeah. it's not like he's a hero or anything, but like no. if he hadn't been a moron, potentially hundreds of thousands of more people would have gotten this thing. Yeah. In a very and short the, amount of time. Yeah. And it's funny too, you know, there was that report that came out a couple of days ago, like, huh, would the Bay Area have succumbed to coronavirus if they won the Super Bowl and had a Super Bowl parade? That's Nick insane. Bo- Nick Boza and Rudy Gobert saved us from the coronavirus. <laughs> I can't believe that uh, that Nick Bosa managed to be more effective at handling this thing than anybody else that he might support. <laughs> I made the, that uh, joke. You stole it, the purple- That's the second time you stole one. <laughs> the Purple Theory podcast has no official comment yeah, on this Yeah, these issue. views do not represent the official uh, All right, I have a, a couple Twitter questions for you. Yeah, let's get to some before of those. We, before I... we look. All right, so this is from, uh, from Yell MK. Um, he asked, why was Max in so much? Yeah, so why? So Max was in, right, uh, against Baylor? You can <laughs> Sorry, say I thought that you meant, like, I, I, I thought that you meant in as in, like, no, no, no. why was, was he playing that? football? <laughs> I mean, it's a good question. The answer is Alex Delton, but uh, but I was on the field right there. 
I was right there. I was right on that sideline, and he stepped out. I'm just telling you, he stepped out. That's not what the tape shows. Here's my hot take. I agree with you. TCU had many opportunities to win that game. They should not delude themselves into thinking they got gypped out of it by a receiver. By a yeah, receiver. yeah, but at the same time, at the same time, I mean, this is college football, and if you can't talk yourself into what you could have done, I mean, <laughs> hey, look, to me, I was a student in 2013 at Baylor. You know what? If Bryce Petty doesn't slip on the ice, then Baylor goes to the national title game, okay? So we don't have to have these conversations. I also think Max was out. Um, okay, and, and kind of on that note, is this is not – he clarifies, this is not a joke question. Is there a better win in Baylor's history than 61-58? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple. And, and I know that this was a very serious question. This is probably the most exciting win in modern Baylor history. Um, but in terms of bigger wins, uh, I would point to 2013 Baylor versus Texas when they won the Big 12 for the first time ever. I would point to 2011 Baylor versus Oklahoma, the moment that won RG3 the Heisman. I think that those were two definitely bigger games. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I remember every single, you know, black and white image of every Baylor game in history. I know that uh, Baylor won the 58 Sugar Bowl and everybody was excited about it. I don't know, something like that. Um, you know, they, they had a couple wins over Texas in the Southwest Conference era that were really big. I mean, but, but to, in all seriousness, in terms of games that I remember and I've seen, 11 uh, – 11 RG3 versus Oklahoma and 13 Baylor versus Texas, I think would be bigger moments uh, in, in the grand scheme. Now, again, in terms of like the moment of the game, don't get me wrong. Like, like that was way, way, way up there in terms of game experience, but like, you know, it still was a game in October. And it's funny because the game ended up meaning so much more than it meant at the time. Like it was a big game, but like, it became a big game so quickly because like, obviously TCU beat Oklahoma and it was like, Oh, okay. This is like a good team, you know, like, so, so it's, it's been a game that I think has aged really well. Um, and obviously the game itself was really exciting, but, but no, I mean, there, there definitely have been a lot of other uh, games that I think that I would put up there. I got into a yelling match with my dad over that game and both of us were cheering for TCU. So that's how, so yes, it was the biggest Baylor game in, in my life. Um, Okay, uh, and this is from Adam Lunt. Assuming everyone returns who is supposed to, who's the, big, who's the best quarterback in the Big 12 in 2021? Ooh, 2021. Okay, so what that means is that Ellinger is gone. Yep. Uh, it means Brewer is gone. It's really Purdy, – Purdy's gone too. Right? Purdy, Purdy has to be done Purdy's somewhere. going into his junior year. Oh, yes, yeah, like, does he go pro? Uh, Probably not, right? He's he, – you know what's funny is, is – I think he's good enough to go pro, um, but he would be a true junior. That's the one thing too is like, you know, if he was a redshirt junior, I think maybe he's ready to get out. But I, but I think the answer is Purdy, right? Like if he comes back, I don't think it's really that close, right? Yes, I think so. Unless yeah. Sanders or Rattler, both one of them surprises. Yeah, yeah, which I could see. I mean, again, I think that Rattler by the end of the year will be a top three quarterback, but I mean, he's not now. Once yeah. Spencer Sanders is free of the shackles of Chuba Hubbard, then maybe he can actually run an offense that could highlight his strengths. So who knows? Is it a shackle when your running back runs for like 200 yards a game? Yeah, I, I don't know whether uh, I don't know whether having the best player in the Big 12 is is shackles necessarily, uh, especially especially when you look at the games that they lost, in, including you know on the road at Texas Tech. That was Spencer Sanders' fault. <laughs> that was all Spencer Sanders' fault. 
Only because they ran at the beginning and got into a uh, got behind. So <laughs> they didn't uh, run four verts every play. So they didn't. They didn't. Yeah, they that. didn't go for a touchdown every play. That's where they messed mm-hmm. up. Yeah, well, I really <laughs> hated that uh, that 2000 TCU offense. They should have aired it out, man. Aired. <laughs> uh, this is the last question I've seen on Twitter uh, from Frogs of War. Why did Gary Patterson block you? Uh, so. <laughs> This is the one thing that makes, obviously, the 61-58 game great. I didn't tweet anything. Just, just I want to clear that up. I've never, before he blocked me, I'd never, ever once tweeted at Gary Patterson. I don't think I even realized what he was on Twitter or anything like that. But I swear, after that game and after that season, he just went and found everybody who, like, had ever been to Waco, Texas and, and preemptively blocked him. Like That's hilarious. Yeah, no, like... Like, it's like a thing on Baylor Twitter where it's like, oh, are you blocked by Gary? Yeah, I'm blocked by Gary. <laughs> like, he just and, – and it's him, too, because, you know, that's the other thing, is that it's not like he has, like, an intern go and do it. This is all Gary Patterson himself looking up accounts on Twitter and blocking them. Yep. I would pay I, so I, much money to see his block list. Yeah. <laughs> God, me yeah. too. And because listen- he, has, he has Frogs of War blocked now. Like, I think literally it was I was tweeting during the Oklahoma State game about how bad the offense was, and we got blocked, like – right after like well, very and, that night and the funniest part about it to me is that first of all i've never once said a negative thing about gary patterson i mean he's obviously one of the great coaches in the history of football i i i don't think i've ever once said anything negative about him and i definitely 100 percent surely have never said anything unfair negative about him and the other funny thing is that kelsey follows me so, like, his wife follows me, and Gary has me blocked. I just don't understand. Let me ask you this. If you were the head coach of a Power 5 school, wouldn't you block all your rivals? No. Rivalries oh, are fun. come on. Rivalries are fun. Is there, is there another coach, Big 12 or otherwise, who has more people blocked on Twitter than Gary Patterson? No. I think no. he has to be far and away the most. I saw someone – a friend of mine – uh dm'd me the other day and said he tweeted something negative about hugh freeze and hugh freeze dm'd him and told him to be quiet <laughs> i have actually heard people be dm'd by hugh freeze before for for those reasons but i still don't think because because here's the thing man is like you got to find the coaches who are like active on twitter and like because like mike leach is active on twitter but you know he doesn't read the comments or anything like right. that like he's just tweeting stuff and tweeting nooses apparently which is weird but uh but um yeah i mean no who else really uses twitter that much and i don't just mean uses in like tweets a lot but like is lane on- kiffin yeah i mean but i think he's kind of in the leech camp where he like tweets a lot but he doesn't necessarily like just interact with everybody as at least as far as i know i mean i might be wrong i i obviously haven't covered his teams before but man it's a the moment has passed, but I do want to make the joke that I would figure Hugh Freeze would be sliding into people's DMs for different reasons. Uh, I, I understand. I understand. Once I said it, I assumed you were going to say that. But yeah, I just wanted to let you go ahead and finish before I, before I hopped in. No, he uh, – Patterson really is probably one of the top, like, four active, like, users of Twitter. Not tweeters, yeah. like, users of. Yeah. Right. Uh, man alive. What a guy to do it. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and I will say, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've never – like tweeted anything to deserve getting blocked by anybody else. Like, for example, Mac Brown has me blocked, and that was very much me tweeting shit at him after the 2013 uh, Big that's 12 awesome. you know, title game. Yeah, but like, that's fine. I understand that. If you're just going to block me preemptively, like, that's lame. I'm sorry. Baylor Baseball has me blocked. Uh, <laughs> I went, I, that's right. I went and looked one time. I think it just said something like, I, I don't know, like, I, I was like a sophomore in college and said something like, you know, 
I probably suck it. I don't know. And, uh, yeah, and they blocked me. And I, we oh, were working man. together at Die Hards, and I had to look something up, and I couldn't do it <laughs> because they had me blocked. It's a tough time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, again, for me, like, I just feel like, like, for example, if you're Elaine Kiffin, you want Mississippi State fans to read your tweets, right? Like, yes. you want to direct tweets at them. You want to, like, make fun of them. Like, I don't know. To me, like... I just don't get it. I don't get blocking. Uh, and honestly, I mean, I, I don't really get blocking in general. Like I don't really block people on Twitter. So. Well, now you can mute, mute them so effectively. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't care I, if you could see my tweets. I just don't have to hear from you, which is great. I don't really mute tweets either. <laughs> like I just, I don't really care. It's fine. You can say whatever. That's impressive. I mute people all the day. I time and not even to people that are tweeting at me, just people I don't like. <laughs> I just I see one tweet from I don't like you're muted. Get out. I hate you. Do you still see my tweets? Yeah, yeah, I do. See? Okay, okay. That's good. Uh, Parker, do you have any more questions uh, for our guest? No, I think that's a great, we're, we're about to approach a tidy hour. And so I feel like this has been a really productive podcast and uh, we're really happy that you could join us. Uh, Shayan, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Shahan Jayaraja. That's S-H-E-H-A-N-J-E-Y-A-R-A-J-A-H. Can you do that backwards? Uh, no. <laughs> and we'll put it in the show notes so you guys don't yeah, have to worry yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. As, as uh, my boss, Greg Tepper, says, uh, spelled exactly as it sounds. So, you know, take that. And, uh, and you can also find all of my work at texasfootball.com. So, uh, yeah, we're still putting out a magazine. Thankfully, somehow we're still employed, which, thank God. I mean, I, it's, it's wild out there, man. It's a, it's a crazy time, and I just... I, I don't know how I'm so employed, but I'm going to write it out as long as I can. That, that is one thing I want to say, and as much as I hate – sorry, I know we're approaching an hour, but I also love Texas fo- – Dave Campbell's Texas football so much that I want to give, like, a shout to them because, like, reading your work in there, obviously Steps work, uh, Tepper, all those guys, it seems like a great bunch to, to work with. Yeah, with yeah, no, it, it's a lot of fun. And, I mean, it's pretty fun to, to kind of – I guess – in our own little world, be an authority, you know, like that's one of the really fun things about it. Cause like a lot of the time with, um, with like, you know, when I covered Baylor, or when we were at diehards or whatever, like we had like a lot of compet- competitors in our space, you know, like, Hey, you know, there, you can go to these other people for Baylor stuff. You can go to these other people for big 12 and college football stuff. But like, you know, I know things in a way that other people just don't know things, you know what I mean? And, uh, and I think that's something that's, that's always been really cool to me is kind of to get to be an expert about this one little piece of this world, you know? Yeah, you want Texas football news, you go to Dave Campbell's Texas football, and you want editorial advice, you go to the Our Daily Bears editorial page and just kind of read what they have. I know, I know you're a big fan of their work. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 was the Baylor Lariat? editorial page i think is also great oh oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah the that's, Baylor lariat that's, yeah that's, excuse me yeah, yeah yeah i know you're a big fan of editorial work so yes yes, yeah. yes. I, I of course of course i mean i let's not get into that <laughs> i have too many thoughts yeah well uh shahan stay safe man seriously yeah you guys too man thanks yeah. for coming on